he was someone who took a stand. Now if you like, that's better, if you like cooking, then you've probably heard of Jamie Oliver. And you might even have one of his cookbooks back home in your kitchen. We do. Well, Jamie Oliver is a top TV chef. And through his programme, Jamie's School Dinners, Jamie has taken a stand. Why? Because schools are spending only 35 pence on the average school meal. And Jamie's goal is for children to enjoy what he calls pucker nosh, whatever that means, every lunchtime. And his stand has paid off. The government has just agreed to spend an extra £280 million for healthier food. However, someone who took a much greater stand was someone by the name of Martin Luther. And his main concern was not about people's physical health, but about their spiritual health. Now it was way back in October 1517, and Martin Luther took a stand for the good news of Jesus Christ. So pretend you're back in your old school history class. Now back in 1517, the church at that time was charging people money by claiming to forgive their sins. It was an attack on the truth of the gospel. So one day Luther went to Wittenberg Church with a nail and some paper. And there he nailed his famous 95 Theses to its door. In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, he was told to recant. And here's what Luther said. Here I stand. I can do no other. 2,000 years ago, a man called Paul wrote a letter to a church in Philippi. And in this letter, he explains how Christians can keep focused and, like Martin Luther, stand together for both the truth and the spread of the gospel. And for Paul, this message was totally unique because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, in 2005, there are many things that can distract us from keeping focus and standing together for the gospel, if we let them. It could be our jobs. Many of us are working longer and longer hours. And maybe you feel a bit like Margaret Thatcher. And let me explain that one. Apparently, the Iron Lady had only a few hours sleep each night. Why? Because of work. And it could be our home. Do you ever feel that something always seems to need fixed? A shelf needs put up, or a room needs painted, and now the garden needs done, just to remind you of these things. And also our holidays. Maybe you're looking forward to that well-earned break in the sun. And some people even put down in their diary how many days are left before they actually go. So in all the busyness of our lives, the question is, how do we keep focused as Christians? Well, here's what Paul reminds us. Stand for the good news of Jesus. 
stand for the truth and the spread of the gospel. So the sermon is called Standing Firm. And let's look at Philippians chapter 1 and verses 27 to 30. And you'll find it on page number 1179 of the two Bibles. And we'll read it again, it's only four verses. Before we do that, let's first pray and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd help us to understand and obey your word. For we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. And Paul writes here, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here, that I still have. Now Paul begins by saying, whatever happens. So in other words, he says, keep focused. And we find here three ways we can keep focused and stand for the truth and the spread of the gospel. Firstly, it means living out the gospel. And this involves knowing our true citizenship. Now, a couple of years ago, I spent some time at Wheaton College in the US, near Chicago. And there are many great things about Wheaton. For one, my apartment was right opposite the restaurant. And it was wonderful. Now, there was something else. It had many students from many different countries of the world. And it's a bit like here at Charlotte Chapel, with our international fellowship. And on some special occasions, some people would dress up in their home costumes to show which country they are from. Now being Scottish, it was easy. I just had to open my mouth and people knew I was from Scotland. And Paul is writing here about our true citizenship, our true home. If you look at verse 27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now the verb Paul uses for conduct yourselves is linked to our world, our word politics. And as you'll know, in the next few weeks there will be a general election here in the UK. And the news on our TVs will be all about politics. Some positive and some negative. But literally, literally, what Paul says here is that if you're a Christian, exercise your citizenship worthily of the gospel of Christ. It's a positive thing. Now when the Christians at Philippi receive this letter, they know what he's writing about. And it's all because of the city itself. Philippi was an important city. It was a major stopping place on the Via Ignatia, 
an important commercial highway. For example, most summers we head down to the Keswick Convention for a week's holiday. And going down, we'll often stop at Gretna Green. Now, it's not to get married again. It's to get a break and enjoy some food. And that was like Philippi. But that's not all. It was a Roman colony. So if you lived in Philippi, you'd enjoy all the privileges of being a Roman citizen. It's the same with us. Many of us are thinking about our summer holidays. And guess where we're going this year? Keswick. As you probably could guess. But if you're going overseas, now you'll of course take along your passport with you. And if you have a British passport, you'll enjoy all the privileges abroad in being a British citizen. Now says Paul, if you're a Christian, you have incredible privileges in Jesus Christ. You see, when you become a Christian, you become one of God's children. And that means you become a citizen of a heavenly city. So the question is, if heaven is a Christian's true home, how do we live this out together here in Edinburgh? We find the answer later in verse 27. And it's all to do with consistency. If you look at the second part of verse 27... Paul continues. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm. Now let me ask you, what's the first thing you do when you see a sign saying wet paint? Well, if you're like me, when no one is watching, you'll touch it just to see if it's really wet. Now for Christians who have their true home in heaven, they seek to live consistent lives, even when no one's watching. Take the example of Joseph in the Old Testament. Now Joseph was sold by his brothers into Egypt. And once in Egypt, Potiphar's wife sees Joseph, and she fancies him. So what would Joseph do? Would he give in? Now, Joseph had been let down in life by those closest to him. He was far away from home. And things weren't going that well for Joseph. So what would Joseph do? Well, this is what he said. How could I do such a, a wicked thing and sin against God? In one word, he was consistent. And being consistent in how we live is all part of living out the gospel together as a church. Don Carson writes in his book Basics for Believers Conduct worthy of the gospel is above all conduct that promotes the gospel. What could be more appropriate? The most appropriate way to live in response to the glorious good news that has saved and transformed you is to behave in such a way with other believers that you actively contend for the faith. Can I try and be very practical here? When I was at Wheaton College, I also stayed back here in Scotland. But here's what I did. I wrote myself a checklist for my time at Wheaton. And so why did I do this? To help me live a consistent life and live out the gospel in Wheaton. 
and it has things like I would not eat alone with someone of the opposite sex I would not counsel someone of the opposite sex and I would aim to quickly settle in a local church and so on and you see a big part of being consistent and living out the gospel together means thinking ahead it means not putting ourselves in a compromising position it means being honest with ourselves and our motives and it means taking practical action to put things right in our lives so standing for the gospel means living out the gospel and secondly it means striving for the gospel living the Christian life involves being part of a team, a community now when you were younger did you ever watch the Lone Ranger on television? it was a brilliant programme well in church there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger we stand for the gospel together through cooperation and even the Lone Ranger had Tonto in verse 27 Paul writes about being one in spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel now here the picture changes from politics to athletics and the Greek word for contending or striving together gives us our English word athletics so let me ask you do you feel like an athlete this morning? now a program I just finished on television was called The Games and 10 celebrities were chosen to compete in various events such as swimming, cycling and sumo wrestling now here's the idea behind the show they will compete against each other to see who will win and beat all the rest ok says Paul that is the complete opposite of what a church is to be like he's saying listen it is not a competition we are all together as part of a team and in this team everyone has a vital role to play everyone and that's how a good team works effectively you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it now a good team also has an objective so what is our goal? our goal is found in verse 27 it says as a team we are to strive for the faith of the gospel okay and this involves two things it means the truth of the gospel defending what we believe and it means the spread of the gospel promoting the gospel by bringing others to believe in the Christ of the gospel so the question is how do we apply this to our situation here in Edinburgh in other words how can I be a part of this team well we can witness wherever God has placed us we can bring our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours to things like the guest service, Christianity Explored and the festival outreach and we can encourage now isn't it great when you get an encouraging email well last week the church office got two encouraging emails from people saying they were so thankful for a warm welcome they received last Sunday in church and it's all part of striving for the gospel and we can pray individually and also corporately and we can give financially to the work of the church 
as we share in this vision to strive for the gospel. And finally, we can disciple new Christians. Our aim is to run something like Discipleship Explored at least twice a year. I might want to get involved in this course. Peter O'Brien comments here. The Philippians are to stand united in their struggle for the cause of the faith. It's spreading growth. The same goal that was before all of Paul's work. And so the question we can all ask ourselves is, am I a partner in the work of the gospel here in Charlotte Chapel? But notice, in striving for the gospel, we also face conflict. Now in some parts of the world, conflict is a daily reality for some Christians. For example, in Sri Lanka, they're currently thinking about bringing in anti-conversion legislation. And we got a small glimpse of conflict last Sunday night ourselves. Three men, under the influence of alcohol, came into the church after the service, shouting and mocking the name of Jesus Christ. But thankfully, they say in Crime Watch UK, please don't have nightmares, because these things are extremely rare. And it's true. Yet if you look at what Paul is saying here, suffering is actually a part of being a Christian. And the people of Philippi knew all about that. Why? Because they refused to worship the Roman Emperor as Lord. And so Paul writes about suffering. Now firstly, in verse 28, it is a sign. It is a sign we are saved. You see, we not only believe on Christ, we are to suffer for Christ. And that's what Paul says. And that's why Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And secondly, suffering is a privilege. Now for the past two years, I have been studying at St Andrews University. And so has Prince William, the future King of England. And many students tend it a privilege to be in Prince William's class. And no one cared about being in my class. They didn't take it personally. Well, in verse 29, Paul tells us this conflict is a privilege. It is a gift. Why? Because we suffer, not for the future King of England, but for the King of Kings, Jesus, God's impeccable Son. So then, how do we actually respond to conflict and suffering? We find you the picture of a horse. It reminds, us, it reminds us of those good old John Wayne Westerns. Now often you would see a bunch of bad guys trying to steal the good guys' horses. And the horses would all run away in panic. Now says Paul, like those horses, that is not how we are to respond to conflict and suffering. You see, the Greek word in verse 28 for frightened is the picture of the stampede of startled horses. Instead, we have to be steadfast. Why? Because of our unity together. Peter O'Brien writes again, The Philippians' opponents tried to throw them into a panic or to strike terror into their hearts. If, however, the believers stand firm as a congregation, one in heart and mind, then at no point should they be intimidated by their adversaries. 
And finally, we stand for the gospel by trusting in the gospel. At the very heart of our stand for the gospel is our confidence in the Christ of the gospel. Now just imagine you were interviewing the Apostle Paul for a job. Okay? He sent you his CV. What would it say? It would say this. I've been in riots. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been put in prison. Now would you offer Paul the job? He makes James Bond look boring. But if you look at verse 28, we see where his confidence came from through all the challenges of life. It came from the one who had saved him. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul brings this out more fully when he says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crying, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Paul's confidence is in the crucified, the risen, the victorious, and the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Now when I worked for Ernest and Young as a consultant, I organised a team building weekend for my division. And guess where it was held? Keswick. The thing is the only place I ever went to. And on this team building weekend, we took part in various physical activities, such as canoeing, biking, and rock climbing. And here's what I thought. What a great opportunity. I have never tried rock climbing before. Surely, it couldn't be that hard. Now, have you ever started something and then thought, what on earth am I doing? Well, that was like me on that rock face. But thankfully, I was not alone. I could trust my friend who held the rope down below. And I knew that he would not let go. And I knew that nothing would happen that he wouldn't allow to happen. But here's the point. When we are standing for the gospel, we can have complete confidence in the Christ of the gospel. As Paul wrote, we heard about it yesterday morning, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Three years ago, I heard someone speak at a church service and his name was Frank Retief. And Frank Retief was a minister of a church in Cape Town in South Africa called St. James Church. And together, as a team, this church took a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in many ways, it was similar to Charlotte Chapel. It was a large multinational evangelical church. But then one Sunday, on the 25th of July, 1993, the church was attacked. And this sent shockwaves all around the world. On that particular day, as they met to worship God, the church became the target for a man with a gun and a hand grenade. Eleven people were killed 
and more than 50 were wounded. So what happened next? With this to tell them from standing together for the gospel. The following weekend, the church was completely packed. Every possible area was used up. And today, that church is still standing for the gospel. And tonight, Origin Scotland are actually in that very same church to proclaim the gospel and song. Together, as a church, they are still standing firm for the truth and the spread of this wonderful gospel. And that's a challenge for us. Are we standing for the truth and the spread of the gospel?